back. So, recording now Pacific Time around midnight. Gonna upload this. We're trying to go for that late night um, talk radio vibe here. Uh, so, interesting things we're gonna chat about. Again, go into the show notes if you want to ask a question, participate. I'm really trying to lean into something that is truly participative and really as best as I can, a community of people. Um, so today's uh, essay was a little bit technical and really kind of hard to write because a lot of it was just trying to understand the concept, but I was looking at a startup its name is escaping me right now. Um, I think it might be called Zero Tier. And what they do is they provide a decentralized network. And I know decentralization has become a hot buzz. And I actually think it's very important, particularly in terms of counterparty risk, trustless contracts, um, many of those um, elements. And, you know, one of the questions is, well, you know, at what point, how, how far do you need to go through decentralization? And I looked at things at the compute layer, the, the, the um, execution layer and contracts, the data, all those things that can allow falsification of a transaction. And the simple concept are, you know, financial transactions. But if we really look at it in the world of smart contracts, that's pretty much sort of anything that can affect it. So the question that I've been noodling on for a little bit as I believe that we'll start to see decentralization of nodes, the rise of node operators becoming much more um, mainstream once we start to see the benefits at that compute or data processing, data indexing, serving uh, layer, right? Um, is the role of the network. How important is it that we need to have a network? Like, Is it the net? work vector something that can t- actually tamper with the trust i understand that um decentralization of the ability to, to, to technically take something down right is when you have large infrastructure providers that are the ones that are providing the transit and they know down to the domain name who's transiting over their infrastructure they have a lot of power when it's this, when it's centralized, from a pure censorship perspective, in terms of something being online or offline, so I think there is something societally that we want to try to not allow that to happen um, on the internet. That if somebody really wants to be on the internet, they can't get taken down by a state actor or by an individual uh, commercial entity. So I spent some time looking at how far is this that it's going? What are the benefits that it actually provides? What's a use case commercially that someone would want to go through it? And um, so really examined it, um, but probably not to the depth that I could because I think I was just hitting a blocker in understanding the domains, the domain. So if you're kind of into that, you want to chat or have some thoughts, please dive in because I think it's absolutely uh, another area of that's thought-provoking is decentralizing at the network layer and just really looking at the existing OSI model and what this company was was doing. 
And many of the things were very similar to the blockchain, meaning a given node that was on the network could then communicate exchange packets peer-to-peer, um, kind of sort of what we do with IP addresses, but here it was sort of a, a public address um, you know, identified cryptographically because it's a public-private key pair. But I, I think there might be something to that that's very actually quite interesting um, but anyway, just wanted to say that that was today's essay. Reading and thoughts from today. There have been some continuing this thread on sort of like life as a PM. And there are two that were very similar. One talked about this common playing of telephone phone along a hierarchy. CEO asks CPO, CPO asks VP, VP asks director, director asks manager, manager goes up. And each person in turn, you know, simplifies and adds a level of urgency. And then there's this asymmetric power plan in terms of like somebody wants an answer about something. What can it, what can we do to get it done? Some people oversimplify, overpromise. And you kind of like get this sort of mess of decisions that get handed down that are very different from what those who are actually going to be doing the work actually recommended. And then related to that was another piece where I was talking about, I think the term that they used was called the directive GM, meaning it was really um, sort of a top-down culture uh, for products and kind of kind of tying it into uh, the nature of um, sort of like w- w- which 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 places were going to be uh, more difficult to work at during this sort of tech tech downturn. And um, the point that they were or one of the points this person was making was, yeah, there's this directive model, which is it's not about discovery or trying to really find anything good. It's just sort of like, hey, we got to get something done. Very similar to the piece, which was talking about low trust games, um, which is really at the end sort of like, how do I, you know, deliver enough to meet this telephone game um, and the directive approach um, while still saying sane, everybody looking at each other, seeing this game being played out and saying, why, why are we doing this? This is lame. And I think that occurs quite a lot, actually. And I've been thinking about it, how to operate in it, how to avoid it. And it's continuing a thought that I had a while ago, which is about, especially in in big tech, or rather, especially in high-scaling, high-growth tech, especially once capital starts pouring in, there it just juices the system because the expectations in terms of time and scale are so intense. I believe what happens is, biologically, more people are kicked into a reptilian mode. And that part of the amygdala which is sort of really governing relationships and how decisions are made, really starts to screw things up. I mean, it really is not the best part of the brain for executive function, for relational functions. But but I really do think that unless a company and the people and the leaders are able to re-regulate 
from their amygdala, from the reptilian brain, there th- there will just be challenges, no matter what kind of policies have been put in place. Because the nature of man is we have these policies. Hopefully, they're supposed to keep us in check from our worser angels. But it often doesn't happen that way. You know, often it's just we make these policies, um, these assumptions, and we just don't follow it because the reptilian brain is operating. Immense stress to hit certain goals. And it, it's been, I've been thinking, you know, you can read as much about how to be calm and how to be empathetic, and there's a lot of substacks out there, and they're good reminders. They, they really are. They really are countering us to be our um, higher self in the face of the reptilian self showing up. So they are good reminders. But they're really focusing on the behavioral level. And I, I am believing more and more that some of this is a biochemical neurological impact from the external stresses and expectations. That's a lot of this leadership and those that are thriving are very good at re-regulating. And this opens up a whole lot of other challenges. But I think it's it's showing to me with greater clarity that leadership and success in the future, you can't afford to operate off your reptilian brain, even though everybody else is, because it's the only way you'll be able to not get sucked into it and operate from a higher self to make the right decisions. And being in community with other people and and, and and bouncing things off and you know if you if you can getting a coach, all those things actually supplement it. But I think at the bottom is like really addressing the reptilian, the neurobiological chemical reaction that's happening to this environment. And you might be sort of the knockdown effect, meaning the people who are really feeling are the CEO who then pushed pass on to the VPs who then pass it on and and and, and so forth. And so the idea that I've been thinking about is, you know, is it possible, I haven't figured this out yet, but is it possible that if you can't re-regulate and get out of the reptilian mind, you're kind of like above these reptilian, you know, games, these Game of Thrones games that are going on and actually be fine. The question, though, is whether that's possible like after reading some of these stories of the dysfunctional culture, it, it almost does seem that one is being set up to fail by focusing on the higher things, the quality of the work, the company impact, getting out of the reptilian mode. It, it seems un, unless the gameplay itself has changed and there is some way to call out the reptilian modes in its process, or there's a process like who knows? Maybe it's a, a group meditation. I don't I don't know. But I, I I'd be curious to know from the game theory perspective if everybody else around you with sort of varying degrees of power and cachet are in reptilian mind, and one person is not, will they be the ones who can stand tall at the end and not be thrashed? Is it just that they survive? Is it that 
they go through what is external pain, but they're okay with themselves personally? Do they actually, you know, bypass all the problems? So I, I don't know the answers to that. But I have been thinking about it. Like, what is this antidote? Because a lot of this is, I think, a cultural slash interpersonal slash biological reaction to this environment. Now, the flip side is, does it mean something that doesn't have all that capital and doesn't have those sort of lofty growth ambitions? What some people are calling slow companies, just purely profitably company properly growing comes without outside investment is SaaS. Is, is the work environment better? I'm curious. You know, I, I really, really would like to know. So anyway, that is today's. Um, continuing to explore the bounds of like, what other topics can I get into? And just, I'm just feel like I'm wandering around and feeling out the space of what this bubble of a podcast could be. The only thing I'm really trying to focus on as minimum is can it be daily as a late night phenomenon. So hit it again for the third time. Hit the comments to find out how you can uh, record um, your own questions and comments and maybe other ways I can actually build. Uh, a little pirate following here. All right, till next time. See you guys.